Today's reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of this same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Great to be with you. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, 
so that what is seen is not made from what was visible. So Hebrews 11, it's a very famous passage, and it has a glittering galaxy of people who live by faith, all of them over 3,000 years ago. But the first verse of the next chapter, Hebrews 12, is interesting as well. It says, therefore, since we have since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's as though the writer is saying that there they are, these great heroes of faith, looking down over the balustrade of heaven, cheering us on. Abraham and David and others cheering us on. Go on, brother. Go on, sister. Walk by faith. They are encouraging us on, like the contender on gladiators who gets over the finishing line first and cheers the, his fellow competitor trying to get up the travel later. I can see some of you trying not to acknowledge that reference to the television programme on Saturday night, a very highbrow offering from the BBC. It's unlike the congregation of the church I recently spoke at, where within three minutes of my sermon, a lady in the front row tipped forward in her seat and fainted and, and had to be carried out. And just as I was reaching my peroration, expecting that revival would break out any second, a lady near the back was sick all down her front. <laughs> well, now, very hard to speak in such circumstances, but that's not the message of Hebrews. Our ancestors are cheering us on. And the list of believers in Hebrews 11 were commended for having confidence in what they hoped for, for being certain of what they did not see. But that begs the question, why were they certain? Why did they believe? Why were they confident in their faith? And perhaps we can learn something to help each of us have that same confidence by looking at this passage. And I want to do that under three headings. First, how faith comes. Second, what faith brings. And third, who we have faith in. First then, how faith comes. How does faith come? Well, there's a clue in verse 3 of our passage. By faith we understand. And how do we understand anything? We think about it. We consider the evidence. We reach a conclusion based on that evidence. And what conclusions did these faith warriors reach? Well, it's there in verse 6. That God is real and that he is good. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. He's good and faithful. That's the conclusion Cain reached who offered God the best bit of his produce as a gift offering, unlike his brother. Because Cain believed that God was real, and he lived accordingly. And that's why Noah built the ark to save his family. He believed that when God commanded him to do it, he believed God. And it's why Abraham uprooted everything he had and went to a place that he did not know in advance. He believed God. He had confidence in God, that God was real and good, that God was bigger than his fears and his doubts. And let's remember that back then they had no scriptures to guide them. Now perhaps these faithful people had reached their conclusions partly on the basis of what they saw in creation. Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Perhaps our forebearers saw design in creation and concluded 
concluded there was a creator. Perhaps they were impacted by the beauty of a sunset, the power of music, the infinite majesty of the universe, and concluded that there was more to life than the material world. Some people, usually very clever people, reasoned their way into faith. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor who wrote the Narnia series, was an example. Initially, he could not believe in a God who would allow such cruelty and injustice in the world. But then he asked himself the question, where did he get the idea from that the world should be just and fair, if not from some external source? And that line of reasoning led him eventually to believing in a creator God. Now, all of these ways of faith have one thing in common. All of these people have examined the evidence before them. God coming to them, the creation in front of them, the intellectual power of the arguments. For myself, I also considered the evidence in 1978. I was 23, a lawyer, and newly married to Jan, who was a Christian. I started to explore Christianity, to be able to persuade her it was not true, so we could live a normal life. <laughs> Everyone knows that Sunday mornings is for reading the newspapers and not for going to church. I studied the Gospels and a few books written about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And within about four months, I was intellectually persuaded that the evidence of the eyewitness accounts was compelling. The disciples of Jesus all believed that he rose from the dead, and they were prepared to die for that belief. Not one of them recanted, even in the face of terrifying deaths. Now, depending on which school you went to, most of you will have heard of Julius Caesar, but if not, certainly you will have heard of his brother, Hail Caesar. We were taught in school that Caesar came to Britannia twice, in 55 and 54 BC. Now, do any of you doubt that that happened? But in fact, it's based on the written account of one person, namely Julius Caesar himself. And I guess looking back, he was lucky not to have been sent to Rwanda. But we... But I'm moving on from there. One person wrote that account, and we believe it as though, of course, it's true. We have much more evidence for the narrative of Christ. The Gospels were written by four eyewitnesses. They are supported by letters written within a few years of the death and resurrection of Jesus. There were plenty of people still living who could have contradicted these accounts. I was there. That never happened. But there's no record of any such denials. So faith comes not from an absence of thinking, as some imagine, but by actually considering the evidence, actually thinking about these things. Have you done that? Our faith is firmly rooted in evidence. Consider it. Have confidence in it. Secondly, what faith gives us. John 3.16 sums up the primary benefit of faith. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, for all you investment bankers out there and business people, it's not a bad return on investment, is it? I believe in Jesus, and my slate is wiped clean, and when this decrepit old body of mine finally perishes, my soul, the real me, The inside bit that feels and thinks and makes decisions 
My soul will live with, will live with Christ forever in a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be wonderful. No more elections, no more three-line whips, no more speeches about Brexit. Hallelujah. Now, I could, speak at, I could speak at length about our salvation, but I want to focus on another benefit of faith, which the people mentioned in Hebrews 11 also enjoyed, namely a complete worldview. Once they believed, and once we believe, we get a comprehensive worldview. We understand the origins of everything. We know where we come from and that we are created in the image of a loving God. We learn about our ultimate destiny. We will access eternity with Christ. And thrown into the mix is some serious guidance about how we should seek to live in between. And all of this can be found in the Bible, which is the inspired word of God and is as relevant today as the many days over which it was written. And I want to stress this worldview point because I don't think we talk about this enough as believers. We can have confidence in this worldview, which is very different to and trumps any other worldview that we will ever encounter. We will meet people who are fully paid up humanists and secularists, but they cannot answer how in the beginning, if there was just nothing, how did it become something? How did the so-called Big Bang actually occur? And if there is no creator to whom we must give account, if this is all just here by accident, it means that there is no basis for morality or justice. It means that people cannot say that genocide is wrong, or that women should be treated equally, or that imprisonment without a fair trial is wrong. If there are no external absolutes, there's no basis for morality. In fact, just the opposite. If we're just an accidental collocation of molecules, as Bertram Russell maintained, and the order of the day is evolution, both macro and micro, then it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And why should the rich and powerful not trample on the poor and vulnerable to sustain the species? Who says it's wrong? Nature is red in tooth and claw. So people who deny God cannot say that such and such is wrong. That's just their opinion. But friends, we know that some things are wrong. Something within us screams out that it's wrong to treat children cruelly or murder innocent people. The secularist worldview simply does not chime with human reality, whereas our worldview explains everything. It explains all the love and beauty in the world, for we are created in God's image. But mankind is fallen, and this is a broken world, which explains all the cruelty and selfishness. Our worldview also explains what we can hope to achieve in the here and now, bringing a small light of redemption in our dark corner, while we look forward to a greater hope and greater glory to come. In reality, very few people think of, through the consequences of a secular worldview that renders everything meaningless. Very few people live like that, but tend to sugarcoat the bleakness of their underlying philosophy with a fluffy layer of sentimentality. You've all heard it, I'm sure, many times. My granddad is looking down on me. My mother will be smiling in heaven and so proud. Friends, we can have confidence in a Christian worldview. Scientists talk about explanatory power, the way that a theory is proven to be true. The explanatory power of the Christian worldview is far greater than any secular worldview. So have confidence in it. Have confidence in your faith. And now finally, and very briefly, in whom do we have faith? 
Is it in religion? Is it in scientists or politicians? Is it even in the church? No, my friends, none of this will do. It's not even enough to place our confidence in ourselves, to try and earn our way into God's good books by being a good or religious person. It does not work. It was, after all, the religious people 2,000 years ago who rejected and crucified Jesus. We should have confidence in God, not self-confidence. We have to place our faith in the risen Lord Jesus. The heroes listed in Hebrews 11 did not know the specifics about our future redemption. They were looking forward and believing that God would deliver. But we do now know how God brought about our salvation. He gave up the glory of heaven and came to earth himself. He showed God's love and power. He lived a perfect life. He died for us. The creator of the universe died for us. And because he had never sinned, death could not hold him. He rose again and showed himself to his disciples and others. He didn't come to point the way. He is the way. He didn't come to tell us the truth. He is the truth. Buddha, Buddha on his deathbed, urged his disciples to keep striving. Jesus did not say that. All he requires of us is that we believe in him. He is sufficient. Let's have confidence in him. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. Let us be those who, cheered on by our ancestors, consider the evidence, have confidence in it, and live accordingly. Amen. I'm just going to now ask us just to pause for 60 seconds or so. Not, no one's going to ask you to stand or anything like that. Let's just bow our heads, reflect, close our eyes. I would like us all to reflect on, just for 60 seconds or so, where is my confidence today? What am I believing in? Why do I believe in God? What's the evidence that I have examined? Have I done due diligence? Do I need to do more? Just reflect quietly for a few moments, then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, this afternoon, we thank you that we don't have a blind faith. We have a faith rooted firmly in evidence. Help us as each as individuals, Lord, to deepen our faith, deepen our walk with you, to know why we believe, to seek to draw closer to you. Help us, Lord, to consider the evidence for our faith, to consider the design in creation, the truth of your word. Help us to consider the historical events surrounding the birth and life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be like the ancestors we've just been reading about. Help us to be confident in our faith. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.